everyone, and welcome to Sugar Pills, your practical guide to self-care. I'm your host, Candy Washington, and I can't wait to help you lead a more joyful life. So let's get started on this week's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Sugar Pills, a practical guide to self-care. So if you are listening to this on the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review, and share this with a friend. Join me over on Instagram at Candy Washington and tag me with your aha moments. If you're watching this over on the YouTube channel, welcome to the candy shop, the candy shop, my lovely little candy canes, and be sure to like and subscribe to this video as well. So without further ado, I want to introduce everyone to the lovely guest that we have today, which is Gigi Robinson. And Gigi is a USC graduate and current master's student whose passion is creating content with an intention of making a positive impact on as many young people as possible through imagery and videography. Gigi often speaks about the ways that she can expose false imagery in media, posing tips, behind the scenes of image making, philanthropy and advocacy work across her social media platforms and in articles such as the female lead, Entertainment Weekly, Yahoo and Viacom. And I know Gigi has some really fun new projects coming up that we will dive into, but let's first say thank you, Gigi. Thank you so much for being here. And then do you wanna tell everyone just a little bit more about yourself and then how did you sort of rise to being this, you know, body positivity digital creator? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, If you hear some sirens in the back, (laughs) I'm in New York City, so I think it just goes with like the ambiance of the mood. Um, But I'm a born and raised New Yorker, and I spent my entire life here looking at billboards that I saw or advertisements, and I quickly fell in love with photography when I was about... I would say at 10 or 11 years old when I actually got diagnosed with my chronic illness and I had to shift my focus from wanting to be a swimmer to something else. And that just happened to be photography and art for me. And um, as I, you know, really fell into that, I ultimately just realized there was so much more that goes on with photography than I think a lot of people even realize when it comes down to editing, retouching, um, you know, even selecting the best images. Oh, GJ, I think you froze for a little bit. You know, a person is in their essence. Oh. Oh, you're okay. I think um... my back. Let me... Yes, you're back. No, you're good. You're good. We can just keep flowing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So you were saying, oh, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, I could try to connect to the, a different like Wi-Fi network instead of my hotspot. If you want me to. Uh, No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll just, we'll keep flowing. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so you said your chronic illness. Do you ever say exactly um, what it is? If, are you comfortable with that? Just in case somebody else is suffering from the same kind. Yes, I deal with a rare genetic disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS for short, and I'm pre- I talk about it all over my platforms. I have a couple of others, but all of the symptoms of my EDS um, and of the other 
issues are basically from that chronic illness and under that umbrella of what is called dysautonomia, which is basically the dysfunction of your automatic uh, autoimmune system. So that is unfortunate, but what I deal with. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting um, to kind of navigate, especially you know, through my teenage years and also now into my 20s, there's definitely a lot of different aspects of my life that are affected by it, whether I realize it or have realized it in the past, um, or I'm just becoming aware of it now. Yeah. And so for those of us who might not be familiar with that, with what that is, what are the symptoms? Are you tired? Are you in pain? Is it your stomach? Is it your head? Like what, what are the symptoms of the illness? So Essentially, it is chronic pain, chronic fatigue, chronic migraines, um, joint pain, back pain, headaches. Um, the list really goes on. Part of the other thing that I think is really uh, inconvenient about EDS yes. is that it essentially is a lack of collagen in your ligaments and tissues and your muscles. So it makes it harder to support joints the way that they're supposed to be supported in like a normal healthy body. So that leads to dislocations, lack of support, bad posture. And because of that, the biomechanics that you go through um, as a patient living with this condition uh, can really cause and um, make your life just very difficult um, at a lot, you know, something as simple as sitting on a chair properly, getting up, going for a walk, picking up a backpack are all things that I like really do sometimes have a lot of difficulty with. Um, and there are things that you can do either taking a more holistic approach. There's also ways that you can treat this um, in a more, I think, Western medical setting. Um, but I myself have tried the Western ways and I'm going full on on holistic and trying to be as natural as I can. So a lot of those kind of techniques, um, I also just wanted to acknowledge the fact that like, I am a white woman. I have great health care um, under my parents because of their job. Um, I also live in New York City, one of the best places in the world for doctors and specialists that deal with this condition. So um, I am working on sharing more resources to people that may not have those same privileges as much as, as I can. And I know not everyone even has the privilege to take a holistic approach. So I just wanted to put that out there and um, also just acknowledge it because I talk about it a lot in my work. And I think it's important to address that just overall, because it, it, this illnesses of all kinds affect all kinds of marginalized communities, um, including disabled people on, on top as one of their identity, I think. And um, it just can, it just can be a lot to deal with as a whole. So yeah, I don't, I don't even know where I'm going with this. Sometimes no, I a little, no, but, no yeah. it's okay. It's good. No, I just wanted to um, thank you so much for like sharing your story and sharing your symptoms and what your illness is. Because I think for anyone who might be listening or watching, there are people who go their life with chronic pain or chronic fatigue and they get misdiagnosed or they don't know what's wrong with them. 
So I think to hear somebody else's story and they say, this is what I go through. If someone identifies with that, they might, they may be able to go to their doctor and say, Hey, I heard this girl, she has the same symptoms as I do. I'm not alone. Maybe I'm suffering from the same thing and they can get diagnosed as well. So just thank you so much for sharing that story. And then how does that feed into um, your IGTV series? Um, Everything you need is within. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that series and what um, inspired it and what you're doing on your platform? Yeah, there's definitely a lot. I think having this condition has obviously been a majority of the adversity that I think I've faced as a, as a woman um, and as also an artist. It's provided me with an opportunity to kind of shift the narrative from this like thing that happened to me um, and it just being really difficult to like deal with, to having it be this thing that happened to me, being able to create art as a way to process everything that's happened and then being able to share it and help others through it. I, I think that's just like, that was a pivotal moment for me, which I can explain in, in more depth. People have heard, I, I've shared this with other podcasters and um, you know, in, in YouTube videos about my experience more in depth, but Um, What inspired the Instagram TV series was two things. One, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, all you need is within you now. And over the years, I feel like I adopted that saying into everything you need is within. It's a little shorter. It's, in my opinion, a little more catchy, a little more modern, whatever. So I kind of took that idea. And the way that I found out about this idea of doing an Instagram TV show was just like, I was like, okay, I have all of these ideas. I have all these conversations and these people in my network who deal with the same thing. What if I share my platform and bring other people onto it and show them, you know, that their conversations worthy, their stories worthy. I think that's the whole idea behind podcasting and, you know, short form videos, it's storytelling. And that's what I wanted to do, but I wanted to do it in a way based on a lot of my other values of not editing and being authentic and being transparent. So like this conversation where I kind of stumbled on my words and I, you know, tangent a little, that's stuff that's intrinsic to who we are as people. We're never on our A game unless we're rehearsing, 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 which is totally fine. There's places for that in this world. But on my platform, I like to be transparent. I like to keep it real. Um, I also like to call myself out um, just to acknowledge, again, privilege, because I think a big part of acknowledging it is not only saying, yes, like I'm a white woman. It's like, you're a white woman. What can you do to help other people um, who don't have those privileges? How can I, again, share my platform, share as much knowledge as I can, um, acknowledge other people's trauma and their background and incorporate it into my work um, to elevate their stories. And that's like the goal as a storyteller, as a photographer. Um, yeah, that's that's the goal. And um, I'm not sure if I've announced this yet. So I don't know when this is going live, but <laughs> um, that show is actually going to be a podcast really soon. Yeah. So everyone, can we say the platform? Because I know the platform. Are we allowed to say it? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Okay. Um, but, Congratulations. But, yeah. Thank you. But yeah, you'll you'll hear about it if you give me a follow, or I guess maybe Candy eventually will. I'll come on that. yours. I'll come on yeah. your podcast. It'll be good. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> We're gonna do a little. Yeah. flip-flop on our shows but yes yeah. yeah, so I'm really really excited about that and it just 
I feel like it's gotten to a point also where I finally, well, I knew that it mattered, but the fact that I feel like it's getting some form of syndication and, and it got picked up by this company, <laughs> like, I'm just really excited about it. And I know that you also have your podcast syndicated with iHeartRadio, which is like, obviously so freaking cool. <laughs> I live in New York City, so I literally drive by the iHeartRadio sign all the time and I'm oh, like, Great. Oh my God, my girl candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. And congratulations. And very um well deserved. Very well deserved. I think when you put out valuable content, people start to notice. Um, but I did want to get your opinion on something. Yeah. I know that body positivity has become such a buzzword. We yeah. hear about it all the time, but it can kind of get confusing as to what's the difference between being body positive. And then kind of going on the other extreme to body shaming. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things here that I wanted to point out. Mm -hmm. The first thing, which I think is a misconception across a lot of, um, like you said, the buzzword terminology that people have just kind of performatively used body positivity, but that term, I mean, you can, anyone can listening can just look this up. Um, look up the difference between body positivity, body confidence, body acceptance, and body neutrality, um, because they are all a bit different. Body positivity refers to, um, and ultimately was coined by marginalized women, people of color, of a plus size to fit them into their own space on the internet and also within the fashion industry. So when I did a lot of reflection over the summer of 2020, I sat back and I said, you know what, I am using this term, but it was brought to my attention that I don't, I don't qualify as a plus size woman. I don't qualify as um, like a, a person of color. So why am I putting myself within this bubble? I don't want to take up space that's not mine. Um, and I think, again, that's another moment where I had to step back, own my mistake, acknowledge my privilege, and figure out where I did fit in. Now, as a disabled woman, yes, I guess you could say there's a lot of body positivity in there as well, but I personally found my values more aligned with this idea of body confidence and body acceptance and body neutrality, where um, in all of those, you're accepting people for who they are as they are. Um, that's body acceptance. Body confidence is really teaching people how to love their bodies and fall into that pattern of body um, body confidence and body acceptance of just accepting your body as you are. Don't need to, to go down the rabbit hole of diet culture or any of that. And then body neutrality is again, just kind of like this discourse in media of how we talk about bodies and making sure that they're not um, like fetishized for whatever they're looking like. So I wanted to point that out first. Yeah. Um, but secondly, on the note of body shaming, I think it's obviously per perpetuated by media big outlets. We know this. We, we all get the ads on our daily mail on Snapchat that say, you know, Khloe Kardashian edits this, Kim edits this, Kylie edits that, um, and, and so on and so forth. It could be about any celebrity. Maybe it's about, I saw one of Camila Cabello who was not wearing, um, she, she was wearing, you know, just like a bikini in the water and paparazzi got her and you could see some of her cellulite and like she had a little overhang on her belly. And I'm like, good for her like yeah 
like why is there a negative story like who are you to judge someone else's body i bet you well actually i'm not going to say what i want to say about the reporter because i didn't know the reporter that wrote that but all i can say is if people are reporting on other people's bodies or other people's appearance in 2021 i, th I think we got to get our values checked a little because there's no place for that there's way more important things to report on um another thing that I'm very passionate about is representing the United Nations and following the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And um, if you don't know about them, there's 17 of them. You can look them up, UNSDG, um, Sustainable Development Goals. And, you know, it's about gender equality. It's about climate change. It's about ending world hunger and so on and so forth. And I think if we all shifted our focus on that, instead of making people feel bad and self-conscious about themselves and their bodies and their confidence like in what world are we living in where it's normal for outlets to really pick apart the people that we are idolizing like i i just think it's really awful and i will also say that if these media outlets want to really shift the narrative um and you know make body confidence a normal thing, make body acceptance a normal thing, which I believe it already should be. Right. They, they, they have to have this training around what they're pushing out and how it's affecting and again, perpetuating this cycle of insecurity and um, in especially in youth and the generations growing up with social media at their fingertips. So I know that was quite a mouthful and it was somewhat heavy, but um, there's more important issues in my opinion than body shaming people on the internet. Absolutely. Um, where do you think the onus lies with the consumer of the content? So I'm always, uh, I always kind of play both sides. So when I think about, you know, Instagram feeds and magazines and TV and all that stuff, where do you think the onus lies on the person who's consuming the content to one, realize that this is probably edited, it's digital, it's photoshopped. I don't get my sense of self-worth from a curated feed from somebody else. So where does the line come from how much the person creating the content is socially responsible for what they're putting out? And then how much is it on the person who's consuming the content to do their own and personal internal work to be body confident, to be um, mindful of what of what they're consuming and to be able to look at like a Kim K and say, okay, she aesthetically looks this way, but in reality, I know it's plastic surgery, it's this, right. that, and third. And I'm gonna look at this as entertainment, not so much as where I get direction from my self-worth from. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a difficult question and it always loops back to this idea of social media literacy, which um, if anybody follows me, I actually go and I'm doing like a college and high school speaking tour this fall, which um, it's out. It's It's been announced for about a month now, but I've spoken at some big universities this past spring. And on the note of that, the lecture and the ideas that I talk about, they're tailored based on what group I'm talking to, um, because obviously like high schoolers not, will not always understand the things that I'm saying to college students and vice versa. But being mindful of your audience is something I take very seriously. Um, for example, a majority of my audience on TikTok 
I'm not sure about as like a whole what what the status is, but in terms of my specific audience, it's 90% women. Um, and of that, I believe like 40% of that is below the age of 18. So I know that I have to tailor my content in a way that is respectful, responsible, authentic. Um, and also like, I need to be aware of what I'm saying because you never know what somebody younger than you is going to like interpret that as. So um, an example of this, which also anyone listening, just look up TikTok, what I eat in a day videos and impact mm -hmm. on eating disorders or yeah. disorder yeah. eating habits. Um, this is something, again, I, I take very, very seriously as somebody who's covered um, disordered eating in the past. Um, these what I eat in a day videos, right? Let's say if you're in the position of a creator, let's tackle that one first. If you're in the position of a creator and you don't know your audience, or maybe you do, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and you, you, you post this, what I eat in a day video, or this is how I work out video to lose 40 pounds in six months, right? Let's just say that's the video. Cause I've seen videos like this. Um, then you put that out there. It goes viral, gets a million, 2 million views or something. And what you don't realize is in sharing that your audience, again, let's say this is all younger women. They're looking at that saying, I want to lose 40 pounds. I'm going to do exactly what Susie did to lose that 40 pounds. And I'm going to eat that way. And I'm going to work out and burn myself down to the ground, which I know far too well from my chronic illness. Um, and we, we don't like burnout here. That's something I also advocate against. Yeah. Um, what, what, what Susie, the creator doesn't realize is how Jane Doe, the, you know, 12 year old looking at it is going to develop disordered eating and it's going to impact her body image and say, oh, I didn't look good at whatever weight I am now. I need to lose that 40 pounds because Susie did it. And um, again, that comes down to the creator's responsibility. As a creator, you have a platform. It's a privilege to have a platform and to be able to provide information to people, whether that's educational or entertainment, which there are both. Um, but again, if you're, if you're doing something that's about weight loss, I mean, good for, good for you. If you wanna share your journey, just be mindful yeah. of what it could do to other people. It's not saying, don't ever post this. It's just saying that here's what I've done. Um, it worked for me. That's not to say it's not going to work for you. Even adding a disclaimer, you know, yeah. like something, something as simple or don't push yourself. Yeah. Um, and to that and point, and not to cut you off, but just to that point, because I think it's a really meaningful one. I think um, it goes back to other like buzzwords in the space, like transparency. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like the whole thing with like the Kylie Jenner lip kit. She's like, oh, you buy this lip kit, you're going to get lips like this. But the truth is she went to the doctor, got lip injections, pumped up, plastic surgery. Her lips were not that way right. because of lip liner or a lip gloss. Right. But go right. buy this and you'll look like me when that's not true. So to yeah. me, I think that's where um, you really lose integrity when you're not actually being authentic and transparent about exactly what it is and you're trying to push something in order to get a monetary gain by 
preying on the insecurities of other people. And monetary can also be like attributed to this idea of virality, right? Like right now being viral or going viral and having a presence is somewhat trendy. So everyone's trying to do it. Um, You can also see that effect. I mean, there, what was that, that uh, Netflix show, the social dilemma, I think kind of highlighted a bit of this relationship. And I mean, Black Mirror did do this in one of their episodes. I forgot what it was called. Um, it was in one of the earlier seasons, but where, you know, your your life and your worth um, and your life, the longevity of your life was based off of how many likes you had and where you were placed in society dealt with that. And I kind of see this like, obviously it's not as extreme. And those were very extreme examples on TV because TV is extreme. Um, but it did, it did do that. And it is the responsibility of the creator to fess up and take, take ownership of it. But I think the action steps, because in all of my speeches, like I don't want to just deliver you information. I want to provide you with some action steps here. I would say, try as much as you can to learn about the effects on social media and your mental health. Read a research paper. Um, Because social media is still relevantly new, research is currently happening. Um, And I think it's really interesting to take a look at that. I'll also send you some articles by um, this USC professor that I spoke in his class. Um, There's also this amazing professor from a university in Italy that I have Um, and we'll be speaking to again um, to her class, which is crazy international uh, speaker, like what? But um, I'll send you their research papers and and it delves into this idea of like, what is the influencer? How does it influence business? How does it um, affect the business from a PR stage, right? We can take Olivia Jade uh, moment when Lori Laughlin and that whole thing. We don't have to go too far into it. You can just watch um, what the red, is it called the red table? I'm so forgetful. Red table talk? Yeah. Yeah. The red table talk um, that, that they had her on. And I just found it so interesting because like she went to my school, but I saw this person with immense privilege financially, um, literally being like you know this like white woman who bought her way into school or her parents did and all these brands pulled out away from her um because of that situation they didn't want to be affiliated with it and I think on that note we can tie a little bit of brands and marketing into this with this idea of social media is in the past year I think especially Gen Z and millennial maybe generations have gotten very firm on acknowledging and calling out brands when they are either being performative or whether they don't say anything at all. And I personally know that I've shifted my values to be focused on working with brands that make a difference and working with nonprofits that are going to change the world. And again, all of this comes from educating myself on this idea of social media literacy. How can I promote products that I'm not just promoting for a paycheck, right? And this would have to be something that would shift in the entire influencer industry, which is obviously going to be difficult. But if there was anything I could, I I look for and hope happens soon, is that the same way that there used to be like home ec classes, Mm -hmm. that there's social media classes and we're taught how to use it responsibility. We're taught, hey, like maybe it's like, yeah, it's not so good to be on social media the second you get up. I'm guilty of it. 
I know I turn over and I check my notifications first thing in the morning. I should be turning over and reading a book in the morning, right? Like how can we, how can we get back to that? Or can we even get back to that is a question I would pose to people. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah. Think, yeah, and, and like to that point, one thing that I always think is that, sure, we should teach social media um, literacy, maybe it was more like a business class, but I think like when it comes to schools, we need to start teaching like emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Like we need to start teaching like self-confidence, um, emotional intelligence, like emotional intelligence, um, emotional literacy. So that, so that we catch the kids at this younger age so they are conditioned and they learn how to be body confident. They learn how to be body positive if they fall into that. They yeah. know like what the terms are. They know how to honor themselves. So to the name of your IGTV series, they're learning at a very young age that everything they have is within. So then they're not looking to the Kardashians of the world, to the Jades of the world, to the ex the woman who's like drink this tea and lose 20 pounds in 10 days of the world they have um a foundation they have a a strong sense of self and i think that is what's truly lacking in our education system is absolutely young people the um, the power of their own value and worth yeah i think one of those i mean home ec is great but like teach me how to love me and then i can go so if i want to yeah, that's really what's missing. Yeah, I love that. And on a a second, I guess like a secondary thing that I think has to be changed inherently with education systems is also how we view marginalized people, how we respond to trauma, also how we. I do apologize for the notification. Um, I'm <laughs> quitting my apps. Love digital technology. Um, but it's this idea of like, how can we raise the next generation of kids to be more compassionate and not only fight for equality, but have equity in it. Um, This is an idea that I really think about all the time, whenever I put out work or whenever I'm working um, on something that I'm doing regarding to allyship or elevating someone else's voices is how can I support whatever the cause is or whatever the community is outside of my social media, right? How can I go to a rally if that works for you? I physically couldn't go to a lot of the protests last summer because of COVID and my chronic condition. I was immunocompromised. I, I Physically, it was a barrier I couldn't go to. That did not mean that like I wasn't participating. I was donating um, all, I think I donated more than half of my like income from June and July to, um, different organizations that supported BLM and Justice for George and anything that I could do to support that. Um, When it came around to Asian hate crimes, like how can I support that? How can I attend all the live streams? How can I learn as much as I can while also having a boundary with myself saying, not all my time can be spent on social media. How can you, once things open up, like how can you go to maybe a women's shelter support people there how can you go to a soup kitchen support people there um and i think all of these things are very important and unfortunately i think at least from some of my peers who work with teens routinely they're saying that kids aren't being taught this idea of gratitude 
um, you have to you have to intercept them at this age where I think they're they're understanding a little bit about what compassion is and how they cannot just be this person behind the screen. Like, how can we have this face-to-face conversation in a virtual world? How can we be considerate of each other's identity and trauma in a world where we can't even meet face-to-face? Yeah. Um, and it poses a lot of really interesting, I think, conversations back and forth between what can we teach people, um, what innovative education systems can we put into place and also how as adults can we be the example like don't they always say lead by example right like how can adults and media companies and the people that control them step it up and demand that you know okay on every magazine cover that's been retouched like why aren't we saying this has been altered this has been retouched right um And that will, again, shape people's self-confidence. When you feel better, you treat other people better. I don't know if you've heard that also. I, I, it's a big phrase in the chronically ill community. So I think it's, it's all related. No, it's definitely all related. And, And I also think to that point, like once we start teaching compassion, gratitude, emotional intelligence, um, self-confidence and all that stuff, I think everything will start to shift because it's not like, yes, it's great for you know, to have allies who want to, you know, participate in BLM and stop Asian hate. But on the flip side of that, we also need to start pe- start talking to people who are white supremacists and start talking right. about that. Like, where does your hate come from? Where is that rooted in? Like, on um, what level do you hate yourself so much that you feel like you have to hurt other people to feel valid within yourself? Yeah. So I think that's the elevated next step where it's like, yeah, it's great to join us. But you also have to look in the mirror beyond your privilege, but to like, what am, what is making so many white people this angry? Right. Where they're literally storming the Capitol on June 6th. Like they're literally stormed the Capitol of the United States of America. Like I never thought that would ever happen in my lifetime or in anybody's lifetime. Like that is certain crazy. And that's yeah. they're literally allowed to do it. And they got away right. with it. And then you think about all of the the mass shootings, like the prof, not to racially profile, but the profile of right. that are usually like young to middle-aged angry white men. And we're right. not talking to them. Like, I think, yeah, we need to look, you know, justice for George and say Brianna's name, but we also have to look at the people creating, like doing these crimes and that are so full of hate and get to the root of their hate and and really do that because that that to me is the root cause of the disease yeah. you know, doing blm doing the marches doing the, the everything else that's just treating the the symptoms but we're not treating the disease itself and the yeah. disease itself really is white supremacy and hate if we just yeah. want to be completely transparent about it and that's Absolutely. where it really all stems from so it's just like nobody's really talking about how do we i don't think it'll ever be cured but how do we at least start to manage it? How do we start to address it? How do we start to the healing process of that? Because I think we're doing all of the very surface performative stuff, but we're not actually getting to the heart of it. So I I don't know the answer to that. Obviously, I wish I did, but I think we need to be start having more of those conversations as well. Yeah, I also think the fact, I mean, um, I, 
I oh my gosh, I don't remember the exact number, so you may have to fact check me here or no, it's okay. You can just say out, but <laughs> yeah, like with um, you know, this past weekend with Juneteenth and how yeah. it's not gonna be taught in some states, I found that extremely triggering and also concerning yeah. that some states just don't don't want to let people know that this happened to protect what like it's not protecting anybody it's hurting the people like you're saying and again perpetuating hate and leading to more miss i don't want to even call it misunderstandings because that would just be way too light it's like a myth they don't want to teach it because they want to keep the myth of how this country was founded and who this country belongs to I think right. that's really a big root cause of like white supremacy and when patriarch when being a patriarch goes wrong um is there's this myth of who this country belongs to so they right. don't really talk about native americans and we they mm-hmm. all come over here and essentially slaughtered them and stole right. everything they don't want to talk about that it was literally built on the backs of black people and asian people and Mexican people, they don't really want to talk about that because they want to keep the myth that somehow they are entitled to this country. Right. And that's why they don't want to teach it. Absolutely. And on top of that, I think the idea of like, how can we incorporate education, but also healthcare reform? Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to like, you know, break this stigma of mental health. Like I am very big about talking about mental health on my platforms as well. And that is of course related to all of the trauma Um, and whether that's generational, whether that's historically factual, like that is all like affecting where we are today. Also, even just learning about something that maybe you're like, like for me, at least I was like outraged that like, I didn't know a lot about like Juneteenth. Like I honestly had never heard of it before last summer. And a lot of people didn't know what it was. Right. Like I'm a 22 year old person in New York city in a city that I thought was very diverse and very liberal um, and very historically correct. Like clearly something's wrong there that I didn't hear about this very monumental (laughs) and important part of history. Um, So it comes down to that. And then also, how do you cope with that? Like, how can teachers also talk about, again, all of these generational traumas that have caused historical structures to exist in a way that causes mental health problems for people and create stigmas? How can we break that? How can teachers be more compassionate to their students? Um, How can, you know, we just tackle, tackle overall, like, I know how we break that. A, we start paying teachers more money because they are extremely underpaid, undervalued. Right. So A, we we pay teachers more money. B, we funnel more money into education. So we have smaller classes. You can be more attentive to to the children. Also, we provide them with more um, supplies, whether it's books, laptops, whatever it is, just to be technologically literate because we're clearly falling behind the rest of the world when it comes to like AI and technology and all that. And then it also goes back to, number my own, either on B or C or D, whatever. Um, and then the, the, the missing piece of that is if we want our teachers to educate our children, we need to educate our teachers. 
So I mm -hmm. think that the teachers then need to have their own education, their own summits and conferences and retreats to mm -hmm. learn the tools that we want them to teach our children. Because right. like anything, you can't give what you don't have. So yeah. if our system has been this way for so long, it's pretty much guaranteed those teachers weren't taught the skills that we want them to teach our children. Like you can't right. teach algebra if you never learned it. So you right. can't teach emotional intelligence if you're not emotionally intelligent. So right. I think and that's where it goes. I 100% agree. I also think this idea of having, you know, mental health professionals, like I know they have the school nurse and they have the guidance counselor, but I don't think there was ever like a mental health and well-being counselor. I know right. maybe some universities have like a health center. Um, to my knowledge, I don't, I know, I, I never went to a therapist at my university. Um, I sought external help, especially just because of my specific condition. And experience but I don't in high school I don't remember there being anyone besides like a guidance counselor or a nurse to like approve my accommodations same with middle school um and again back to even college like I'm pretty sure they just like added more therapists or mental health workers um within like the student health center but if there was like lit quite literally like a hub of professionals that there was like eating disorder coaches, mental health coaches, burnout coaches, um, even even like confidence coaches of like, how can, and also like, this just popped into my head. Like sure. when you take a public speaking class, like why are we not talking about like being confident and delivering with confidence from like a coaching and um, identity perspective rather than like you need to deliver a perfectly memorized speech, you know, like, yeah. like if you just think of, I think mental health that way, then maybe we can find the right teachers, but yeah, it comes down to funding and just yeah. the right educators being there. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, Gigi, this was great. Thank you so much for your time. I know we covered a lot of tough topics, but meaningful ones. So if there was one thing that you want us to take away from our time together, what would that one thing be? Mm, definitely check your privilege on social media, whoever you are, wherever you are. Also, just like we talked about in the beginning, be aware of what you're putting out and who your audience is and just being mindful of who's consuming your content and the words you use even and uh, the places you're even posting about like if you're on vacation at some on native land or on historical land, be mindful of who was there before and the people that built it and that, you know, leave you in a position again of privilege today where you're able to tour this place or be there for fun. So there's, there's way more that I'm sure we could go into and we definitely will have to connect offline candy about everything because you're incredible. Um, but yeah, just, just be mindful. Mindful. And where can we find you, Gigi? We, we need more. We need more Gigi in the world. <laughs> um, you can find me at ggrobinson.com, uh, at it's Gigi Robinson on every social and uh, at Gigi on Spotify Greenroom. Yay! Congratulations, Gigi. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being with us. So thank you everyone for listening. If you're listening on the podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review and share with a friend. If you're watching this on the YouTube, thank you so much for joining us. Like and subscribe and share as well. And until next time, everyone, be well. Bye.
Thank you so much for joining me, and please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. Head over to Instagram and join me at Candy Washington. I can't wait to hear from you.